your Bible, or if you have your Bible app, whatever it is, whatever apparatus you might have, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, we'll be uh, coming back to there, there in just a moment. <clears throat> so, um, okay, that's right. <laughs> uh, sorry. You can kind of get where we're at today, if you haven't seen already in the, the um, worship guide. So one day, a few years ago, actually a lot of years ago, way too many years ago, I was about 12 or 13, and um, our, it was my job to cut the grass. I was at that age, and so I was part of my chores, and, and um, my brother wasn't quite old enough yet to participate and help with that, so probably my, my job. And the lawnmower wasn't running right. It was just running rough, and just, you know, it would start, but it just wasn't running right. And so being an inquisitive person and being somebody who likes to help, I decided that I'm going to try and fix it. And so I'm going to figure out, you know, what's wrong, and so I'm going to sort of fix this better. And so I start taking it apart, you know, which is how you find out what the problem is. And it wasn't till too long until I had a lot of parts spread over the garage floor. I mean, a lot of parts all over the floor. Um, and then it dawned on me, I have no idea what I'm looking for. I don't know if I find the problem or not. I just don't. I mean, I... How will I know? I don't know. And um, so I took a little break, after, you know, after I'm got these parts everywhere. I mean, they're everywhere. And I, not, I, you know, kind of surveying the thing. And I realized that not only do I not know what I'm looking for, I'm horrified to realize I have no idea how to put this thing back together again. It's just a pile of parts uh, sitting on the floor. Remember, remember that moment, that panic, like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? You know, if, you know, dad's coming home soon. You know, what do I do? What did I just do? Um, does that ever happen to you? You have the best of intentions. I mean, you're really wanting to be helpful. You really want to do well. And you just end up making a big mess. That's just a terrible feeling, isn't it? It just, it just is a terrible feeling, especially when you know what causes problems for someone else. Well, that fear of making a big mess is how I felt as I approached today's sermon. So uh, most of you know, um, you kind of get where we're at today. Uh, it's a two-week series, so it's not a very long series, a very short one. But last week we talked about Help Me, I'm Single, and today is Help Me, I'm Married. So the idea is Help Me. Um, ironically, last week's sermon was much easier for me to get my brain around. Even though I've been married for more than 38 years, happily so, to be able to talk in a sermon about being single was, again, for me, just to conceptually think about it and prepare for it was easy. For me, so, all right, what does the Bible say? All right, and then what do I say to a person who is single to encourage them? How do, so again, it was, conceptually, it was just easy for me to do. It took some time to put it all together, but I at least knew how to approach it. Um, a sermon on marriage, on the other hand, is really different. Um, even though I am married, it felt like I was about to take apart my lawnmower. <laughs> and uh, yes, the Bible does has a lot to say about marriage. And so there's a lot that I can say there, and I'll, and I'll touch on a good bit of that here as we move forward. But more than that, marriage is about a relationship between two people. And no relationship, no two relationships are alike. Okay, so for me to talk about, um, you know, Len and Sue would be very different than me talking about anyone else. And I wouldn't single anybody out to begin with, number one. But you can't, you can't talk very deeply about that relationship because everyone is different. Um, and so it just kind of left me feeling like, well, what do I do and how do I need to approach this? Um, 
And again, it's just impossible to talk directly to the heart of every marriage that's represented here in this room. And so with that in mind, today's sermon is not about how to take apart your lawnmower and fix it and put it back together again, okay? It's more about the nature of lawnmowers, <laughs> if that'll help you to think about what we're kind of what we're doing here. So before I begin, a few ground rules. Uh, one, if you're married, what I have to say is for you yourself. Okay? What that means is no elbowing your spouse. Okay? No clearing your throat. <clears throat> yeah, okay, none of that. Um, you do you, and you trust the Holy Spirit to speak to them. Okay? You sit there quietly, graciously. I know it's going to be hard. Sit on your hands if you need to, um, but whatever you got to do. A second thing here, I do not come to this as an expert, okay? I learn something new about my wife almost every day, okay? And, and unfortunately, she learned something new about me, some things she regrets learning, but that's just part of it. So again, I don't come to you saying, all right, here's, follow my advice, and, and you'll be happy. That's, I come as a fellow struggler um, in this uh, thing called marriage. Um, and also, also, and this I think is important too, in, in, in all honesty, I had no one in mind as I worked on this, okay? No one. I intentionally, I don't want to think about anybody. Um, and the reason I say that is because some of the things, when you're talking about marriage, and talk about some of the things that God says about marriage, it is possible for you to recognize a gap, that there's a disconnect, either, you know, maybe for some here that were married previously, and it's going to conjure up some other feelings and, and some hurts and pains. And, and so, so I say that to realize I intended to single out no one. I didn't have anyone in mind as we thought about these things. It's simply to give the Holy Spirit opportunity to speak to us about what God might say about marriage. Okay? So with that in mind, <clears throat> we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 2. Starting with verse 18, and we'll read through verse 24. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his, his wife, and they become one flesh. Let's pray. <clears throat> father, so very much, we're grateful for your word. And uh, Lord, I realize that this topic can conjure up and can bring up so many different emotions and feelings. Um, some are just incredibly positive, and some are just incredibly painful and hurtful. And, but Lord, I pray that this morning that we're able to hear from you, that we're able to hear from your spirit. For some of us that might need encouragement, some might need um, healing, and some of us just might need a kick in the pants, whatever it might be, Lord. I pray your spirit would speak to each of us this day as we uh, unwrap this a little bit further as to what you're intending for marriage. <clears throat> and it's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Um, 
So three thoughts just about marriage in general that we can see um, some of it from this passage, but I think just in general as well. I think one of the things we clearly see in this passage is that marriage was initiated by God. Okay? Notice the sequence here. I find this fascinating. I didn't really, this didn't really hit me until actually just the other day as I realized something that was happening here. Verse 18, God says, all right, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Okay? Very familiar passage. And then, but then he doesn't create Eve. Yeah, it does. He doesn't create the woman. He actually animals. So 19, so God brought the animals and birds to Adam. This is to name them, which is just kind of an interesting idea. Then in verse 20, it says, hear this, but, but no suitable helper was found. The idea there is that the way it's worded, that the animals were brought to, that possibly that was the helper that God was referencing in verse 18. And then one wasn't found, and so the woman in us formed in verse 22. Now, as it's written, as it's written, the woman is a second option. Okay. Now, it's possible that we could take that as, well, she's second best. Like, oh, I couldn't find an animal, so I might as well get a you know, that's That would be a bad option. Okay, A much better option is this. Woman was special ordered. She was custom made. Okay, Nothing else would do. There was something significant and special that was about woman, and so God put that specialty in her. So why? why? Why would God do that and not just, why not just make dog, you know, man's best friend? You know, why not just make that be the suitable helper? And, and, it's, and it's for this reason here, because the relationship between a man and a woman was to be different than the relationship between the man and the rest of creation. That relationship was to be different. It was not to be the same. And as we see in this passage, the marriage between man and woman was initiated by God. God was the one who started it and caused it to happen. So that's my first thought. Second thought is that God's design for marriage is a covenant relationship. Um, Within our society today, marriage is often treated um, not like a covenant relationship, but like a contract. Okay, A contract is written up to protect both parties from each other. So in case one doesn't perform well, there's, 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 um, and it's legally binding. It's a commitment that we'll do this and we'll do that, and in exchange for that, then we'll, that's a contract, okay? A covenant is a pledge. It's a perpetual promise, okay? A contract can be broken. There are often ways written into the contract of how to get out of it, um, whether there's a penalty that needs to be paid, but there's usually things within a contract um, that allow for the two parties to separate should they choose to do that. A covenant, as expressed and discussed in the Bible, is based on a relationship that lasts a lifetime. Okay? Both the contract and the covenant are about taking two people and putting them together. Okay? The idea here, in fact, it says the two become one. It's, it's talked about there in the, in the passage. Now, um, the big problem that occurs is when we start to treat a, a marriage like a contract instead of a covenant. Now, the thought is behind that, if it's a contract, just the two people can just go their separate ways. Okay? We can, if you want to break it, you can do that and go their separate ways. The reality is that's not the case. The reality is when you break a marriage, you're actually not breaking a contract, you're breaking a covenant. 
And what happens when you try to separate a covenant, it doesn't break easily. It usually comes apart in pieces. And it creates a mess, doesn't it? Some of you have experienced that. And you're carrying that with you even today about what that looks like and what can happen. Sometimes there's emotional trauma that can leave scars that last a lifetime. And if there's kids involved, it can affect their sense of security. And, 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 and we, we understand that. So I don't need to belabor that issue. I think we understand that. The breaking of a covenant is not just separating two entities. The breaking of a covenant is destructive. Not just to the two individuals involved, it, it could be involved, it can in, include other people as well. And again, some of you I realize know what I'm talking about because you've experienced that firsthand, and I am so sorry that it happened to you, that you've experienced that. That was never God's plan. It was never God's plan. God's intent for marriage was that it would be a covenant relationship that would last a lifetime. My third thought is that if we reject God's design, the marriage will not thrive. Now, some people might say, yeah, but I know people who are far from God. I mean, they have no interest in God whatsoever, and they've been happily married for decades. And, you know, my response to that is, that's not necessarily surprising. God's principles are not some secret that you have to uncover and decipher. Um, a lot of them are very much common sense. And so my, my suspicion is if you look closely at that couple or couples, that you're going to find that they've been even sometimes inadvertently or unknowingly actually following what God has laid out in Scripture. And I think that's very possible, if not probable. So with that in mind, just some of my general thoughts about marriage, what are some things you can do to strengthen your marriage? Whether the one you're, you're in or maybe one you hope to be someday, what are some thoughts about we can do that? I think the first one for me is, first way to go ahead and strengthen is to grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now that just makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, again, there's nothing in a, like rocket science here. As we become more like Christ, we say the kinds of things Jesus would say. We do the kinds of things Jesus would do. And as we're transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become better marriage partners. Okay, that just makes sense. Another thing you can do to strengthen your marriage is work to make the marriage work. Now, is anyone here who's married who could say marriage is easy? Except me, of course. It's, it's re- easy, easy, easy. Um, <laughs> save that one. Now, I, I think I mentioned already, Betsy and I, we married over 38 years. That's just a long time. It really is. I just feel old every time I say that. And, and I would say very happily so. We've been married that time. And we've never really <clears throat> gone through seasons where we've had, you know, we're, we've struggled and, and it's hard. And at the same time, I know, I know there have been days when I have, have frustrated her beyond reason. I know that. And, and I know that there have been occasions when I've made her so angry. I know there's been times where I know I've hurt her feelings. I think for those of us who've been married or are married, We've all been there. We know what that's like. <clears throat> and I think it's expected that couple will have conflict. 
I mean, he made, God made all of us different. He made us different. We have different preferences, different personalities, different expectations. We look at things differently. So when two people come together, and I say this about almost any relationship, it's not a question of if we have conflict. It's just a question of when we have conflict. So the fact that a couple has disagreements or has a struggle and everything, that shouldn't be surprising. That shouldn't freak them out or make them like, oh man, maybe we made a mistake. No, that's normal for any couple that is married. What matters is how they respond to one another when conflict emerges. Do we yell at each other? Do we slam doors? Do we leave the house? How do we behave? Or do we sit down and say, all right, let's figure this out. Let's work through this. And do we listen and hear and talk and, and do we work it out? Now, the reality is I could spend the rest of my sermon on just this one topic. There are, there are entire seminars on communication for couples um, or how to resolve conflict in your marriage. I mean, there's, a, there's stuff where you can find that, you know, TED Talks or you can find all kinds of resources that are really, really good that will help you communicate and work out better. And let me just say that there are a lot of great resources within Grace Covenant Church. We have multiple groups of people from that is just their heart and passion is to help couples work through bumps that they encounter in their marriage. And so if that is ever you, you know, please you know, say something, speak up, let us know. Say, hey, can we just meet someone? Just help us work this out. We're, we're having a hard time. We just can't seem to get through this. We might need some help. And so there's, there's resources available to you. So conflict is, is, is normal. And the fact that we would have disagreements and have, have seasons or the things may not be as rosy as we would like them to be. But at some point in the midst of a conflict, one or both of the individuals, they have to decide, and instead of fighting the other person, they're going to fight for the relationship. The relationship is more important than being right. The relationship is more important than winning. Galatians 6 tells us that a person reaps what he sows. And when it comes to having a healthy marriage, both people have to be intentional about making things work. I think one of the greatest deceptions that destroys marriages is that marriage just happens. It doesn't. It takes work on the part of both people. Now, the next two points in your outline, I'm going to actually take together. Um, Deny yourself as you serve your spouse and discover your spouse's love language and target the need. Um, it's been my observation over the years. Now, see, now that I'm at this stage of life, I can say, uh, say it like this. But my observation is that many marriages fail because of selfishness. You know, the person has this attitude, what I want takes prominence. And what I want usually leads to self-centered behavior, which will ultimately destroy the marriage. And I think other marriages fail because one or both of the individual stop investing in the relationship. They just stop investing. And the marriage fails for lack of attention. Do you remember, again, for those of you who might be married um, or have been married, do you remember when you first met your spouse and what life was like the first few weeks you were dating? Now, I, again, I don't know about you, but for me, Bets and I, we met in college and I wanted to be around her as much as I could. If I wasn't in class or wasn't somewhere I had to be, I wanted to be with her. Um, and when I wasn't with her, I was thinking about her. 
Um, when we walked together, you know, going to class or something, we would hold hands. And we could talk for hours just being together. It was wonderful. It really was. But the reality is, the reality was, it doesn't take long for those feelings to wear off, do they? Now, my love for her didn't change. It wasn't like I didn't love her anymore. It's the nature of the relationship changes. And again, that's just the relationship is maturing. It's, it's changing. And over the years, we've changed individually and even as a couple. We are different people than we were 38 years ago. Yet through it all, we've remained deeply in love and committed to one another. Now, over the years, I've also noticed that there are similar traits in other couples who I consider to have healthy marriages. Um, actually, there's two traits, one for the husband and the one for the wife. Um, so the, this, is Sam, this is my uh, recipe for Sam's secret sauce to wedded bliss. <clears throat> okay? Sam's secret sauce for wedded bliss. Two things, one for each, one for each of the wife and the husband. For wives, again, um, no elbowing, no clearing throat, nothing, just sit still. <clears throat> wives, here's the secret sauce. Honor and respect your husband. Now, I understand God knows we don't always make it easy for you. Okay? We're, we're known to be doing stupid things, foolish things, dumb things, and I get that. <laughs> I'm so glad that was Cameron and not Erica who said that. <clears throat> Paul, in Ephesians, he says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Now, here's the thing. Here's the, there's a real problem with that verse, and it's that word submit. Because human nature causes us to rebel against that word. None of us, the idea of submitting is almost demeaning. And, and, and that just, so it, it really comes against us. And so let me, let, me trans, um, let me switch out the word, okay? Let me reread it in what I just said and see if that helps. Wives, honor and respect your husbands. It's a little easier to swallow, isn't it? Now, it used to be that part of a standard wedding ceremony was, you know, do you, you, you know, will you submit to your husband? It's not even there anymore. You go to most weddings these days and they've actually taken that out because of just that word submit. But there's something about this idea of honoring and respecting that I think is really so very, very important. It's important to remember that words can be used to either build someone up or tear them down. One's tone of voice can be either encouraging or demeaning. And even the behavior, behavior that conveys indifference can be very disheartening. Now, guys, we may act like it's no big deal. It is. Men need to know that their wives love and respect them, and they honor them. So look for ways that you can affirm them and to show that you do honor, and respect them. <clears throat> okay? Men, your turn. Never stop dating your wife. Never stop dating your wife. A couple of years ago, I realized something that hit me like a ton of bricks. And I wish I understood this earlier. But it's a statement here. I am the sole source of romance for my wife. If she doesn't get it from me, she doesn't get it at all. That's a huge responsibility. 
Now, romance isn't just candlelight dinners and walking along the beach at sunset, which are great and fine and sometimes. But that's not what I'm talking about here. Romance is this. Romance are the words and actions that tell her, I am tuned into how you think. I, I am tuned into how you feel and what you want. I'm all in. That's romance. You're tuned into the other person, particularly your wife. Now, it's interesting um, that uh, just after telling wives to submit you know, or to honor and respect their husbands, Paul says to husbands, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, some, might, some men might interpret that as saying, all right, sweetie, I'll take a bullet for you. Now, where's my dinner? Okay. <laughs> We need to realize that Jesus didn't die for the church. He lived for it. Everything he did was for the benefit of those who followed him. Likewise, men need to look for ways to let their wife know that they are paying attention, just like we did when we were dating. Lastly, be willing to own your failures as you work to resolve conflict. You know, Every now and then over the years, this is one thing I have gotten right. This is one of the things where I'm glad I did this. Every now and then I look over at Betsy, um, and this is not when we're in the middle of an argument, because then it's obvious. But I ask her, are we okay? Are we okay? And what I mean is not for just a moment. I mean, is our relationship okay? Is there Because here's what I've observed. She's much more attuned to it than I am. I mean, I, I'm sometimes I'm just oblivious, you know, and I, again, that's just me. I'm just, I'm just not paying attention. So for one or both spouses ask each other periodically, are we okay? And then for one, for that question to be asked with sincerity and genuinely, you're asking because you want to know. And for the other one to have the freedom as well as the strength and courage to say, sometimes, mate, you know what? I don't know. Right now, I just feel this. And to be able to talk about that and to talk that out. Those conversations are so essential about fine tuning um, to make sure that you don't have your lawnmower spread out all over the garage floor or your marriage spread out all over the garage for, making that same analogy there. In my mind, you know, when I ask her that, in my mind everything's fine, but I never want to assume how she feels. Now most of the time she said, yes, we're good. There's been a couple of occasions where she said, you know, there's something that's still bothering me. And we, we'll go back and revisit that, and we, we talk about that and work that out. See, the thing is, is unresolved conflict erodes the marriage relationship. It's not like this one thing that just already kind of breaks apart and like an explosion. It's this slow simmer, this erosion that over time things break down. And we need to be willing to address the issues that constructively, or we need to address the issues constructively and then seek outside help if necessary. Now, if you need help, again, like I said, we've got a number of people, a number of groups that this is what they do. Um, they're focused exclusively on strengthening marriages. And unlike my lawnmower experience, God can help you put your marriage back in order, running the way he intended it to run. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so very thankful for your word. And I'm so thankful that you created marriage. Um, and for those of us who have, are, that are married, those of us who, um, who will experience marriage uh, either again or sometime in the future, Lord, I'm so thankful that you do care enough about it that you give us words like this uh, that we see in Genesis. And there's other times where Paul talks about marriage. And there's other things we can see time and again that this is 
very important to you. And so, Lord, we don't take that lightly. We recognize that, um, Lord, you're at work in all of us and that you are constantly changing us into the image of your son, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we have the courage and the strength as men and women uh, to engage our spouse with the conversations that need to happen, recognizing that God is at work. And Lord, if we care enough and love enough that we would listen and hear, even if the conversation's hard to hear. Uh, so Lord, I just pray for your hedge of protection over our marriages that are here in our congregation. Lord, that you would keep the enemy from sowing seeds of discontent, sowing seeds of disunity, of, of hurt that would be hung onto. But Father, that you would bring healing where healing is needed. Father, give us wisdom. But more than that, Lord God, I pray for courage. Courage to speak up. Courage to have the conversations that need to happen. Courage, Lord God, to believe the best in our spouse. Lord, because they are a gift to us. And if that's true, Lord God, we should be grateful and thankful. So Lord, help us to treat and love and honor and cherish and invest in those relationships. So Father, thank you. And we just continue to put ourselves into into your care and trust you for all things. Uh, For Lord, it's only then that we can run like we're supposed to. We can function like we're designed. And Lord, and in, in that, in so doing, Lord, you're praised and your name is glorified. And uh, Lord, that's our desire. That's our desire, Lord God, is to honor you in everything. So Father, it's the name of your son, Jesus. We commit all these things to you now. And everyone says, amen. Amen. 